2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: What good is it is if Christ has each child as his unavoidable concern and does nothing to help each child, he must touch and pray. Nothing less will do, touch and pray, has to be touched and pray. And if you say this to these people, okay, okay, okay. How, I mean, there's a lot and gotta get all the people moving and stuff like that. How about if Christ just prays for each child, but he doesn't touch each child? They would say, no, what good is that? What good is it if Christ just prays for each child, but he hasn't experienced a taking of that child on his heart, that the touch will do. He must touch and pray. Nothing else. Touch and pray. So when Christ heard them say, we want you to touch and pray for each child, he was happy because that lined right up with who Christ is. Christ loves to do that. He loves to touch and pray because that's the type of great high priest that he is. As it says in Hebrews 4.14, Hebrews 4.15, seeing then that we have such a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we should come boldly to the throne of grace because we have a Christ as a high priest who loves to touch and pray. He loves to do that. And that's the model for us of how we should pray for others. We need to do what those people were asking Christ to do in verse 13. We need to touch and pray. We need to touch and pray. Because if we touch and don't pray, that means for another person, we take on a burden, we take on a grief, we take on a disappointment, we take on a sadness of another person may even bring us to tears, but we don't pray. And this is what it means to touch and not pray. Now, the other danger is to pray and not touch. That's when we hear of someone else's burden, his grief, his disappointment, his sadness, and we don't let it touch us. We don't let it touch us. There's no tears. It doesn't affect us. But we put it on our prayer list and we pray. That's what happens when we touch, when we pray and don't touch. We need to touch and pray. Just like those people who brought those children to Christ and asked him to please touch and pray. Nothing else would be acceptable to them for the little children they brought to Christ. And like those people, when we come to Christ and we pray for his help, we ask him for us to touch and pray. Touch and pray. Touch to feel the pain, the frustration, the sadness, the worry, the fear that we have or someone else has pray to his Father to relieve that pain, that frustration, that sadness, that worry, that fear. Touch and pray. Touch and pray. And when we pray for a person in need, we look to ourselves to touch and pray so that we can feel this pain, this frustration, this sadness, this worry, this fear of the what. And then we pray to Christ and to God the Father for relief. relief. Touch and pray. After all, when you look at the great 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it's all about Christ touching and praying. He touched. When he said in Isaiah 53, 4, Isaiah 53, 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He touched. In Isaiah 53, 53:5, 5, 53, 5, when it says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. He touched. When it says in Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, he touched. In Isaiah 53, 11, when it says, he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, 12, he, shall, he bear the sin of many. And after he touched, then he prayed. In Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah 53, 12, he made intercession for the transgressors. In Isaiah 53, what we see is a Christ who touched and prayed for us. And the picture of Christ touching and praying for us is also seen in what a prophet, Elisha, did to bring a dead boy back to life. The ultimate touching and praying scene in the Bible in 2 Kings 4.32. 2 Kings 432 when Elijah was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon him twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. When the prophet Elijah came into that room of that boy, that boy was dead. He was dead and we see how Elijah brought the boy back to life all because Elijah was willing to touch and pray. When Elijah walked, in, Elijah walked into that room, that was a room of death. It was a room of death. It doesn't take long for a dead body to start to smell bad. It doesn't take long for a dead body to smell like death. And that room smelled like death. And Elijah didn't open up that door of that room and say, oh, yuck, this room smells like death. I'm not going to get near that body of that dead boy. Elijah didn't open the door and then shut it and say, okay, from the outside, we'll pray for the dead boy. Not at all. Elijah entered into that room. He saw death in that boy, and Elijah challenged death in that room. In essence, Elijah said, now, with God's help, I will fight you, death, and with God, I will conquer you, death, and Elijah entered into that room alone and shut the door behind him like a fighter enters the boxing ring alone. And Elijah shut the door behind him, and he was in that room alone. just like Christ. Just like Christ. He entered a world of death, He saw death, he challenged death, and his words were, Hosea 13:14, Hosea 13:14, "I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave." I will be thy destruction and repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. He says, I will kill you. This is what he's saying in that verse. I will kill you, death, and I will change my mind. So just as Elijah shut the door and was alone with this dead boy in that room, so Christ was on that cross all alone, all alone where he fought with death. And then Elisha prayed to God for that dead boy And Elijah did something amazing. We just already saw Elijah, the man full of life, laid on that boy's body full of death. Elijah put his mouth of life on that boy's mouth of death. And Elijah put his eyes of life on that boy's eyes of death. And Elijah put his hands of, of life on that boy's hands of death. And Elijah stretched his body of life over that dead corpse of that boy. And in that moment when he did that, life battled death and life overcame death. And that dead boy's cold flesh got warm again. And that dead boy's nose sneezed seven times. And that dead boy's eyes opened with life. And that dead boy lived because Elijah was willing to touch and pray. And we have life in Christ because Christ was willing to touch and pray. And all the people wanted in verse 13 was just simply, verse 13, then were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And he did in verse 15. He laid his hands on them. He touched and prayed for those children. It just all goes back to shackled by a heavy burden neath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. He touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. Now I know. He touched me. He made me whole. Now, it says in verse 13, he should put his hands on them. They didn't bring the little children to Christ so that the little children put their hands on Christ. No. Christ should put his hands on them. And sometimes we're like those little children. You know, we're weak, we're battered, we're sometimes, about the only thing we can do is just drag ourselves to Christ, bring ourselves to Christ. We're just too weak to lift a hand. And we just say, we ask the Lord, Lord, put your hands on us. Touch us. Just like those people who brought those little children to Christ. We ask Christ, just put your hands on us. It's a wonderful thing in life to have the hand of Christ on us. You know, David said that as far as his writings, what David wrote, he said in 1 Chronicles 28, 19, 1 Chronicles 28, 19, all this said, David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me. Ezekiel was the prophet who kept saying over and over again, the hand of the Lord is upon me. The hand of the Lord is upon me. Six times he says that. It's like the first one is Ezekiel three fourteen. Ezekiel three fourteen. 14, the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Now, these little children were kind of in a dark about exactly how old they are. We don't know. We don't know how old the little children are. Several age groups, for sure, because Luke tells us about one age group in Luke 18, 15, Luke 18, 15, where it says, and they brought unto him also infants that he should touch them, but his disciples thought they rebuked him. So we know that little babies were brought to him for him to touch them. That's nice. That's sweet. That's tender. But they weren't just infants in that group that were brought to Christ. How do we know that? Because he said in verse 14, he said in verse 14, Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. So they were bringing little children, these people were bringing little children, and he did not say, Suffer those who are bringing the little children to bring them to me and do not stop them from bringing the little children to me. He did not say that, but what he said in verse 14, suffer little children and forbid them not, the little children, to come unto me. Now, the little children, he was saying, don't stop those little children from coming to me, which means that this is a scene of little children running to Christ. And he's saying, don't stop them. Now, when we see that verse in verse 14 of little children coming to Christ on their own, it shows the little children, why were they coming to Christ? Why were they doing that? Because they were told about Christ. They were, someone told them about Christ and they were excited to come to Christ. Those little children were taught by someone who said, hey, kids, if you could just see him, if you could see him do these wonderful things, hey, kids, if you could just hear him, you'd hear the most wonderful things come out of him. Hey, children. If you could just have him touch you, oh, great things would happen to your life. Oh, children, he's so wonderful. He's so powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. He's so loving. He's so kind. And that built up an excitement in them. It was built because with that kind of talk, a desire was born. It was cultivated in those little children, a desire to go to Jesus. And that's why in verse 14, they weren't running around and saying, oh, well, these guys! No, they were running to him. They were flocking to him and that's how little children should be taught they should be taught to love Christ with all their hearts children need the lord little children were brought to the lord jesus and we can imagine the suspense of the moment of it all now we're not told who these people were who were these why didn't it say something like moms and dads brought their children to christ or we're not told anything about who these people were that brought these little children to christ they may have been parents of those children. They may have been grandparents of those children. They may have been aunts. They may have been uncles. They may have been siblings. They may have been maids. They may have been anyone. We don't know. We're not told anything about those who brought these little children to Christ. We don't know anything about those who brought those little children to Christ except for one thing. There's one thing that we dead on know about those people who brought those little children to Christ. The one and only thing we do know about those people who brought those children to Christ is that They cared about those little children, and that's why they brought those little children to Christ. They knew that the most important thing in the life of those children was that they come to Christ. That's all. those people who brought those little children to Christ challenge us. They challenge us because those people show us you cannot say care about another lost person unless you try to bring that person to Christ. You can't say it. You can't hide behind election, predestination, or any other garbage. You can't do that. You cannot say you care about another person unless you try to bring that person to Christ. Because if we don't try to bring a lost person to Christ, we really don't care about that lost person. That's just the long and short of it. The level of care or love that we have for another lost person is seen in how much we try to bring that person to Christ, that lost person to Christ. Now the word brought. Brought. It's so important in verse 13 because it shows us what a great thing was done for these children when they were brought to Christ. That was great. Most of us, most of us, or maybe I should say, many of us, we weren't brought to Christ as a child. So, how come we're in Christ? We were driven to Christ by our own lives that were broken and shattered by our own sin. That's not the best way. Children that are brought to Christ have the advantage of not having to have to be driven to Christ by their own life of devastation and sin. So the word brought, in verse 13, it's like an advertisement to volunteer for child evangelism fellowship by teaching good news clubs and and to bring the children to Christ. Now, the little children didn't come on their own. They were brought. That's what the verse says. They were brought to him. And so it really speaks of the faith, the faith of those who brought those little children to Christ. It showed that the little children needed to be brought to Christ. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not going to teach my children about God. I'm going to wait till they get older and then they can go learn on themselves and decide for themselves. That's a terrible attitude. And that was not the attitude of the people in verse 13 who said, then we're brought unto him little children. Those people knew that the little children needed to be brought to Christ. They knew that the most important thing in a little child's life is to be brought to Christ. I'm so impressed with my little granddaughter, Kate. She's eight years old. She loves to pray. She prays a lot. As a matter of fact, her parents have a practice of having each one of their four children pray on a particular day before a dinner. So one day it's Grace's turn, another day it's Grant's turn, another day it's Colton's turn, and then one day it's Kate's turn. And whenever it's Kate's turn to pray before the meal, All the other children groan because they know she's going to pray for everything around the world for a long time. And then just before she finishes, happens every time, just before she finishes, she turns to her mom and she says, did I forget anything? (laughs) That's why they groan. Kate has her own room alone. She doesn't share it. And Kate doesn't pray silently. So every night outside of Kate's room, you can hear Kate praying and praying out loud until she finally drops off to sleep every night. Why does she do that? She does that because her parents did not have the attitude to leave Kate alone. And then later in life, Kate can make her own choice if she wants God in her life. Kate has a life with God. Kate has a life of prayer now in her young life because her parents were like those in verse 13, verse 13, then were there brought unto him little children. Because Kate's parents and and those in verse 13 knew that the most important thing in a child's life is a personal, vibrant friendship with God. That's a life with God. So Kate's parents knew that at the core of any personal, vibrant friendship is communication. Friends talk with each other. If you met a person and he told you, said that, oh, I have a close friendship with another person, and you asked him, well, how often do you communicate? And he said, well, we never communicate. And you said, you mean you never meet, you never call, you never communicate by text, email, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, WeChat? And the person says, no, none of those things. Then you'd say, you can't be friends. You don't communicate. And you might say, did you ever communicate with that person? You call your friend? The person said, no. Then you'd say, well, you were never friends. Or if the person said, well, yes, I communicated uh, one time, uh, but we don't anymore. then you'd say, well, then you used to be friends. You're not friends anymore because at the core of any friendship is communication. And Kate's parents know that so that they teach Kate to talk to God by prayer and then to listen to God by reading the Bible. And when I see little kids, little girls that I don't know, I just compare them to Kate. And I ask myself the question, is that little girl, a friend with God, like Kate is a friend with God. There's a business down in Loretto that I go to and I have to make a payment to this woman there who works in the business and she'll have in her office, her little daughter, her little daughter's name is Nicole. She's about eight years old. She's the same age as Kate. And the mother has been teaching Nicole how to speak English. So Nicole is very anxious to come up to me and, and speak English. Next time I see Nicole, I'm going to bring her the bracelet with the five colored beads and I'm going to say, Nicole. The first colored bead here is gold because it represents heaven where the streets are paved with gold. The second bead here is black because it represents our hearts that are black and dirty with sin. And the third bead is red because it represents the blood of Jesus who died for our sins to make us clean. And then the fourth bead is white because that's what happens to our hearts when he cleanses us from sin. We become white as snow. And the fifth one is green because it represents how we're to grow in Jesus by learning more and more and more, and obeying more and more him. I'm gonna do that because the most important thing in that child's life is not how good she learns English, is not how good an education she has in school, is not how many toys she has, is not how wealthy her parents are. The most important thing in that child's life is that they are brought to Jesus, verse 13, then whether they're brought unto Jesus, little children. As a matter of fact, what God, the subject of the Shema is really the children, it's the children the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, all thy soul. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Uh, in front of who are you supposed to talk of the word of God when you rise up and when you sit down and when you walk by the way and when you lie down at night in front of the children that you're diligently teaching. So what God is saying there is that when you and I see a little child, our hearts should jump with diligence and ask the question, how much does that child know about God? Has anyone taught that child diligently about God? Has that child had the advantage of seeing parents who do have a real, personal, vibrant friendship with God. Because Jesus said in verse 14, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven, and he laid his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, for for children, how much they teach us, and for how much we should teach them. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.
2: You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box seven one one three three zero, 330 Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711 711 330 Santee, California 92071 or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. That's Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. That's 800 800-
1: What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on youtube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.